What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here, your host. We've got a very special show for you listeners today. Special guest James Homer from the Warriors Talk is here joining me to talk all things Dub Nation. Hey, James, how's it going, man? Going well. How are you doing, Sam? Busy, but good. Busy uh, start to the new year, that's for sure. Yep, very nice. So I think we got a lot to talk about here for the Warriors since uh, since we last discussed. Um, you know, Warriors surprisingly sitting at sixth in the West right now after the Clippers lost last night. Um, kind of surprising for a team with the 500 record, 22 and 22. Um, a lot of, of a lot of the end of the bench guys out right now, Wiseman, Jermichael Green, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Iguodala, they're all listed as out for uh, tomorrow's big game against the Celtics, but we've got Clay Thompson back. Um, I think there's a lot of questions about this roster, the team's play, the team's play at home versus on the road. Um, you know, kind of heading into the all-star break, I think definitely as Warriors fan, you know, most people are probably disappointed with where they're at today. I think they've definitely made significant strides since the start of the season, but, um, in some respects, I mean, especially that end of the homestand losing to Orlando and Detroit and to Phoenix, um, you know, I think, I think that definitely left a sour taste. I thought we were kind of on the verge of really making kind of making this turnaround and shift and kind of gearing up for a nice four five, six game win streak. And then you just kind of have that return to lackluster play. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. It's uh, it's been an interesting, I think that that three game stretch at the end of the homestand, um, that was a pretty big opportunity to, to put the team in sort of a better position than than where they when than where they are now. I mean, they they could be up to you know fourth fourth in the West even with how with how tight the conference has been, um, and you know just getting it was embarrassed to it was it was embarrassing in a lot of respects to to kind of lose to a Phoenix team especially that was so depleted. Um, you know Orlando they they tend to they tend to play as well. You know they have a probably the they could potentially have like the tallest starting lineup in the NBA. Um, so their size is obviously something we'd have to contend with Detroit. Um, but Detroit and yeah, Phoenix, especially, I think we're, uh, we're kind of tough losses, um, especially, you know, having Damian Lee come back and, you know, get his season high against this. I think he shot like 12 free throws in that game too. So that was, um, I think that game was uh, particularly symbolic of kind of, where the Warriors' weaknesses have been so far this season, and that was, uh, you know, they fouled too much. They turned the ball over at completely inopportune times, uh, and they just kind of let uh, they let leads pile up, and they don't really kick it into gear until uh, until they it's kind of too late. Like at the end of the Phoenix game, they were they were starting to make a bit of a run, but. Um, it just didn't end up panning out, and uh, it's yeah. They, you can see a lot of the problems that are kind of with this team, and you don't really know what the fix is going to be at the moment. But there's definitely a lot of stuff that kind of needs to be addressed. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Damian Lee looked like an all star, like no Devin Booker, no Chris Paul. And it's like Lee's knocking down threes, racking up fouls, making defensive plays, like feeling really good. And meanwhile, Phoenix doesn't even have a point guard, right? It was like all, their entire point guard death chart, everyone's out. Mm-hmm. And it's not until like three minutes left in the fourth quarter that all of a sudden you have Wiggins picking up full court and Iguada and Draymond like denying all the entry passes. And it was like kind of a clinic for like two minutes of like, wow, we played lockdown defense and the Phoenix could barely get the ball to the floor. But like, why couldn't we have done this at the start of the game and like blown them out? <laughs> it yeah. just seemed like a lack of, um, uh, I don't want to say preparedness, but like lack of um, just being present, right? Just kind of being yeah. like coming, kind of, kind of coming in lack, lackadaisical and, yeah, we're going to roll this Phoenix team and, and um, you know, it's just far from the case. So um, I, you know, I agree with you. Like, it's not clear what the remedy is to that. You know, I don't think that necessarily, you know, and maybe this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I don't know that making a trade for like another rotation player changes the energy and intensity that the entire team needs to come with. Um and it was certainly surprising, right? Because you you had Steph out and everyone was stepping up and playing so well. Lamb and Ty Jerome were just like so crucial off the bench. Jordan Poole thriving is kind of the starting point guard. Everyone kind of gelling and playing and playing great together. And then you get Iggy and Wiggins and Steph back. And it was like all of a sudden we didn't know how to how to play as a team. Um, Wiggins was just getting beat on every single play defensively you know his first game back which you know in his defense this is the first extended injury um slash illness you know the most amount of time he's missed in one season in his career but clearly you know he need he still needs some time to kind of ramp up he still looks like a step slow um Iguada, i think you know in, in the few games he's played obviously he's missed the last few games again but um kind of traded good games with bad games where he comes in and and shows flashes of being that guy who can come in and make like a clutch play at the end of the game to help kind of put, put the opponent away. And then other times just super lazy with the ball and just throwing careless passes and turnovers that just contribute to the issues we're talking about against some of these weaker components where Mm -hmm. we're just not even getting shots up and we're just giving them transition dunks. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the thing that, um, I think we kind of talked about this the last time I was on, but the, the turnovers are really like uh, the turnovers are really bad. And it's, it's letting up a lot of those transition points. It's giving us as a team, less shots in general, and it's just giving opponents more. And I think against teams that can get out and run and maybe have a little more, a little more energy, uh, which I think has been a big issue with the, with the Warriors so far, kind of like you mentioned, um, you know, that's uh, obviously there's a lot, a lot to do with injuries there. But um, I mean, there's you know Jordan Poole for a stretch was averaging like five turnovers a game. That was the big thing, despite him putting up better numbers as a starter than Ja Morant this season, is that he's turning it over so often, and it looks, you know, it's like careless errors. It's not even like they're they're forced. It's just stuff that you know it's it's very fixable if you know it kind of slows down, and I think cleaning up those turnovers turnovers have always been a big warriors problem uh even in their championship seasons but it just looks a lot worse right now um but yeah i mean when you look at 
it just you see it. the The problem the the problem is is that you you really see it with this team because they put on excellent performances against Memphis. They put a, put one up against Boston early in the season, um, where they looked like a championship caliber team, and everybody was kind of like, okay, so this is the Warriors that we know well and that you know we would expect to to kind of see more of but they've it's almost like they're playing down in a lot of ways they just the younger teams every team out there is night in and night out wanting to beat them and while you can beat the best teams and you know the warriors have shown that they they can do that um usually when they're at full strength i mean you have so many players who are who have stepped up into better roles. You know, Dante DiVincenzo, Jonathan Kaminga, just to name two of them. Um, but yeah, it, it just seems like they're they're kind of phoning it in a little bit, and I think a lot of the the turnover problems are largely due to uh, to that. You know, they're not having their their full heads in the game, and that uh, you know that's letting easy games slip away. It's you know, it's the it's not the Warriors where they're resting their starters in the fourth quarter for the right reasons anymore. Um, and it's not really like like we were talking about. You're not sure if a trade does that. I think that getting another rotation piece would help that. Just somebody who can, you know, be consistent even when the team's being a little slow and kind of bring some energy on hopefully the defensive end and some spacing on the offensive end. I think that that would be a good trade, but it, it really would take the right guy to kind of rectify uh, some of the issues. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think it kind of goes back to this foundational core that's had so much sustained success um, coming off a championship and just not feeling the same hunger as they did last season. You know, mm -hmm. like you said, phoning it in. Um, and I mean, it's like, know your personnel, right? You're going to play, against Chicago and you're going to know that um, Caruso is just going to be all over the passing lanes. You need to fake a pass and make a pass. You can't just be careless with the ball. Um, same thing against Orlando, right? It's kind of like just having more recognition and awareness in the moment of who you're playing against and what you can get away with or not. And not just coming in to every game with the same mentality of we're just going to do what we're going to do and take care of business. Mm -hmm. uh, and at least in that home stretch where you were missing Steph Curry, you had those four or five games that easily could have all been losses and Warriors found themselves in holes at times, but then found a way to execute down the stretch in the fourth quarter to put these teams away and come out with some wins. And I thought that was really promising. But then, um, you know, I think the, the Detroit game was tough because, um, just singling that one out, right? I mean, you had two incredible yeah. end of the end of the quarter, you know, end of the game threes by uh, Boyan Bogdanovich and then um, uh, Sadiq Bay, right? I mean, you did everything you could. He, he, they made both their shots. You kind of tipped their hat to them. The Orlando beat, right? It's such a long, long team, but kind of goes back to that, like, know who you're playing against, right? You got to be smarter with your passes. And um, it almost seems like Steve Kerr, allows for that to go to happen intentionally like he knows that the team just needs to go through these ups and downs like he's not going to hold their hand through it because at the end of the day if if the guys aren't going to be locked in and show up enough to take care of business and win games and it's kind of like you don't deserve the higher seating 
um, because you're going to make the same mistakes in the playoffs. And it's like, we either got to figure it out now um, or it's just not going to, it's just not going to be in the cards for us this season. He doesn't seem to necessarily be coaching out every game. Like every, every game is a must win. Like not to say that he doesn't want to win games, but there's mm-hmm. certainly, I think more that could be done um, to kind of rein this in. And he, and he kind of, I mean, this is, this is a, a player issue. I think this is, you know, Draymond being locked in every game, not Dream having Draymond get into it with the fan halfway against into the Washington game for him to finally lock in, which he even said himself after the game, right? It had nothing going for me at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. And that that fan really fired me up and got me going. And you've got, you know, Draymond go off for almost 20 points. Um and so it seems like for these foundational guys, or not these core guys. Uh, you exclude pool maybe you exclude pool and looney from that list because i think that they're kind of out of that but at least for like steph clay and draymond um actually i don't even know you know well steph has been so good on the whole season you kind of give him a pass you know he had that horrible seven turnover game yeah kind of give him a pass here and there and i mean i think clay has actually been a lot better in the last 10 games than than like the first 30 um at least offensively oh, yeah. so okay. I, I mean I, it's just draymond then i guess through process of elimination it's really what version of draymond green are you gonna get right are you gonna get the version of draymond that is just Chris passes running the offense getting guys into their sets getting guys into the sh- into the um, good shots that they need not picking up all these offensive fouls on screens, not committing silly fouls, closing out when he needs to, and then coming up with the game-winning plays down the stretch defensively to really kind of put the team, the the opposition away. Um, or are you going to get the careless, lackadaisical, shouting at the refs all game version of Draymond? It's, it's kind of really ride or die with Draymond at this point because he is the anchor of our defense with the version of Wiggins and Clay Thompson that we have right now. Um, it, a lot really rests on his shoulders as far as um, how this team is going to perform on both on both ends of the floor. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's been a I think the defensive energy has been um, I mean, I would say that's probably been the biggest uh, kind of the biggest issue is especially when you you're giving up so many you're giving up so many turnovers, then you give up so many free buckets. And then whenever you, you get a turnover, you're not able to get back and get set. And it's just, it kind of wears on you having to run back and forth all the time. But when you, you zero in kind of on, on Draymond, I mean, he's, he's picked it up recently, but you can see when his engagement starts to, to kind of wane that the defense itself is, it's got, just got all, the holes become more obvious. And I think in, in part of that is that, you have Dante DiVincenzo who's lifting such a heavy load on offense. He's supposed to be kind of the Warriors primary point of attack defender. And he, to his credit, I mean, he completely locked up Damian Lillard when they played the Blazers in the last, like, I think the last three minutes he switched on to him and he scored two points. Um, So DiVincenzo has been great on, you know, he's been great on both ends of the floor, but he's not the, you know, defensive captain that, another major another big guard defender like a drew holiday or a marcus smart is uh which is what draymond is to the warriors and what the warriors kind of need if draymond's not going to be super locked in so 
Right. Or even like a GP two, right? Like yeah. even Chenzo isn't going to come up with like three or four steals a game. Like he might have one game where he does that, but he's just solid defensively and he's going to yeah. rebound really well. Like you, you know what to expect from him, but he's not necessarily going to come off the bench and provide that type of explosive, um, contagious energy that we had just kind of come to expect from, from um, GP two. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's, uh, it's, it's very telling that, you know, there's the the team's defensive leader and i think that the the warriors do have a little trouble when divincenzo is off the floor guarding the point of attack just because both clay and wiggins are are sort of bigger they're better playing against bigger guys um i mean when they played the celtics at home um you had clay thompson doing plenty of minutes on jason tatum and he looked like he was he had tatum in a in a jail cell like it was pretty incredible what he was doing on that end of the floor despite his offense not really getting going um for that part of the season but uh yeah it's it's when you have so many when you have this kind of hole at the at the point of attack and you're funneling all of this all of this towards Draymond Green and he has to you know be the sole paint defender besides Kevon Looney who is his height and you know he has to play against seven footers in the post and he's like the main defensive anchor it can be easy for him to to sort of not be engaged especially when he's also putting a lot of aggression on the offensive end of the floor and he's you know he's going out he's making plays I think that this season is probably the most when we've the most we've seen Draymond be kind of aggressive on the offensive end of the floor as outside from maybe like 2016 uh and even last year to a certain degree but um, when he's just expending that's so much energy, like you need somebody who's going to to kind of be able to close those holes on defense, um, especially when there there's kind of like positional needs that the Warriors just don't have just don't have fulfilled. And then you also have, you know, there are players on the roster who continuously make defensive mistakes that, you know, guys like Otto Porter Jr. and GB2 were not making last year. Uh, which leads to you know some frustration and it, it can make the the ability to kind of stay locked in a little bit harder. So while I do agree that that Draymond definitely needs to you know stay locked in on that end of the floor, that's where he's the most effective. The offense will will kind of level itself out, especially if you know Jordan Poole kind of keeps up on on his heater um, and Steph continues to to play at an MVP caliber level. But when you you have a defense that's making those kind of micro mistakes it can be very easy as kind of the defensive quarterback for lack of a better term to uh to be uh, a little more disengaged yeah and i mean all that all that being said in the last 10 games per nbastats.com the warriors are seventh in defensive rating uh, but 22nd in offensive rating so i mean top 10 defense is significantly better than where we were through the first 20 games of the season yeah, I think that's a that kind of defensive cohesion is um, it's a lot of buy in, I would say. And it's like I, I think the thing that we always wondered with this team was that are they going to eventually gel and, and kind of figure things out because they didn't look very cohesive at the beginning of the year. Right. Um, and you're starting to see that with the with the defense where they're they're kind of playing more off of each other and uh you yeah, know. you see that you see that in Washington, right? Starting to see yeah. those more consistent stretches, 
in the second half of games where we hold the other team scoreless for four minutes, right? Zero yeah. field goals in four minutes. You're starting to see that more where when the other team doesn't have somebody on a heater who's just lights out hitting whatever shot they throw up, um, we can get the ball into the hands of the player that we want who needs to take a shot outside of their comfort zone and secure a defensive rebound. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think about Anthony Lamb in his play of late? Um, Lamb is a bit of a, I'm, I'm not a big Anthony Lamb guy just because I see him make a lot of mistakes and he's like, he makes like two way player mistakes and it's the, you know, he continuously helps off of, or, you know, throws help to uh, leaves his man in the corner, leaves his, man i think it's a, a weak side usually weak side help um and then he he'll leave his man in the corner to try to help somebody at the basket um and then there'll be a kick out and there'll be an open three so i think he, he does that a lot um which is frustrating what really frustrates me about anthony lamb is that he is playing just good enough to get minutes on the offensive end and he's like when he when he can get hot he'll get hot but the fact that we are having to rely on him in stretches offensively, it, it just feels like he he kind of gets too many shots and his role is a little bit inflated because he overplays um, every couple games. I think that him being on a – it would be a lot more – I think it would be a lot less of an issue if he was – you know, a fully rostered player, but when you're you're having to rely on him and what can be relative inconsistency with him, especially on the defensive end of the floor, and he's on a two-way contract where he's not going to be there the rest of the season, um, even if you convert him, I, I think that there's a... I, I just don't think that there's much there to, to kind of build off of, you know, a, a streak of games where he was, you know, shooting 50% from three and he was making the right plays. I think that we've kind of seen... As his role grows, he sort of shrinks in it a bit. He, you kind of, you can see his sort of like the more micro mistakes that he makes, and they become more obvious and more game affecting. And then, of course, there was that moment in um, in the Washington game where he blew a defensive assignment, and Steph got in his face about it, and he started kind of barking back at Steph a little bit, and it's it, it just felt like a. Uh, you know, know when you're wrong, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're talking to like two, two guys, him and Draymond who, Steph and Draymond, who have been a part of like the best defense, some of the best defenses in the past decade. Like they, they kind of know what they're talking about. And that, that moment was just kind of like, it, it just rubbed me wrong a little bit seeing that he was, uh, you know, he, he definitively blew a coverage there and he got defensive about it without actually trying to learn. And I just didn't think that was very productive. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I think, you know, in the last 11 games, he's been double figures, eight out of 11, um, shooting almost 42% from three on the season. Um, He has, you know, pretty consistently been making some mistakes on the defensive end, as you kind of talked about like the wrong rotations, like warriors never want to help off the strong side corner. Mm -hmm. He tends to do that a few times. I personally feel like the mistakes he makes are correctable. Like it isn't a question of 
athleticism or lateral movement or he just gets beat like Wiggins does. It's more just like um under you know understanding the schemes and the rotations and being consistent um and and having the the reps to kind of get there and and understand really just cement that into your brain like strong side strong side corner you're never going to help um he has also been caught a few times when he is over helping fouling three-point shooters Mm -hmm. uh but just i think what he does spacing the floor and hitting threes has been like invaluable to the warriors scoring off the bench i mean i think uh, uh, 11, you know, eight of those 11 games, him and double figure, double figures, we probably would have lost at least half of those games without his contributions off the bench. Um, and especially with the, you know, missing Andrew Wiggins for that stretch of games and, and Wiggins certainly has looked kind of like a shell of himself as he's returned, missing Jonathan Kaminga. Um, Moses Moody hasn't really shown any consistency in his own right either. I, I really you know, I'm kind of leaning towards feeling like Lamb's worthy of a minimum contract, convert him and let him take the last roster spot. Um, honestly, I think that, and if he does get over the hump of being able to get away from those rotation mishaps, could find himself, you know, as kind of that eighth, ninth guy, even in a playoff rotation, playing eight, nine minutes a game, because at least offensively, he he seems to just have the right patience. He understands how to play around Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. He picks the right moments as to when to attack versus uh, pull up for three. Several times, you know, we've just thrown him the ball with like a second or less from in the shot clock, and he's been able to to um, come up with some pretty big shots. So I, you know, I certainly don't disagree with the defensive miscues, but I see a lot of promise and potential for a guy who's still relatively young you know, played a lot in college, um, certainly seems, you know, in, in Steve Kerr's, um, more comfortable in Steve Kerr's system than, than Moody does. And, um, I feel like what he can contribute offensively, he, he solves a lot of those issues of, as far as scoring off the bench and has shown that he can play around, um, some of the bigger name guys on the Warriors and, and kind of succeed in that, in that type of role. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely things to to kind of like about about Lamb's game, especially when when you kind of look towards the playoffs. Um, I, I just think the well, the well, a lot of the issues are correctable. They're they're also issues that I would rather have Moses Moody working on correcting, just because Moody is, you know, we, we have him for on contract for a couple more years and he can relatively play the the same role that lamb does. And it, you know, he's done some, he's had some, some turnovers and some miscues of his own where he's um, you know, he hasn't looked that solid and Kerr's pulled him uh, because of it. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's something about lamb's defensive consistency that worries me when it comes to the playoffs and it just feels like to a certain degree that he it's, it's unclear whether he's trying to, to really earn the spot on the team by doing anything other than providing floor spacing. Um, and, you know, you're, I think his, his defensive consistency is something that definitely needs to be addressed. And if he can sort of pick it up and start to learn from his mistakes, then 
that would be a good time to start looking at a, a full roster spot for him. But at the same time, like you have enough time to, to kind of put Moody in those situations and you get uh, already better defense. Uh, you know, Moody's graded as a pretty good, uh, pretty good defender um, in terms of, I mean, defenses, obviously defensive metrics are very uh, finicky because they're usually team-based and lineups based. But Yeah. So um, I, at least from the eye test, and it's it is hard, right? Sometimes yeah. trying to judge and rate these guys. I feel like Moody gets gets blown by every time he's on the floor now defensively. I, I thought coming into the season and watching Summer League, Moody was gonna be that GP2 off the bench. Moody was gonna be the guy, point of attack defender, just all over guys, pressuring yeah. the ball. And it seems like more often than not, he just get beat, he just gets beat and has to foul. It's different mistakes than what Lamb's making, but Moody's deficiency seems more to be based on like his quickness and his ability to move his feet. Um, and Lamb is just more like court awareness and schemes. Um, and Moody on offense is way more like he shows flashes, right? Moody has these incredible takes to the rim in transition. Um, sometimes he'll come off the bench and just be lights out from three, but it's very inconsistent and more often than not. And I think one of the main reasons he's, struggled to stay on the floor for any um consistent stretches of time um from steve and steve on steve kerr's rotations is because moody gets um he becomes indecisive on offense he gets himself into trouble and he turns the ball over and steve kerr just has no patience for that with him versus lamb when he gets the ball on offense he knows exactly what what he's going to do he either moves the ball or he takes the three um, or he, you know, if it's a if it's a long closeout, he attacks the closeout and gets to the rim. So I think, you know, long term, I'd love to see Moody. I'd, I'd much rather see Moody kind of grow into that uh, 14th pick, you know, where we got him and, and kind of reach his potential that that I know he has. But at least for like this season and what we're seeing thus far, and at least how Kerr's been deploying him, I think Moody's still a ways away. And I don't know you know, if there's just more work he needs to do on moving his feet. Um, but I just, you know, I don't disagree that, that they have different, that they have different issues. I just see Lamb's is more correctable in the short term than Moody's and Lamb just seems way more polished offensively. And um, the numbers kind of, kind of back that up with his impact on the floor. Yeah. I think if you, if you start to stick Moody more and I, uh, you kind of, stick him more in Lamb's role defensively and he's not, you know, and I mean, this is a limitation given kind of his, his size and, you know, the positions that he's used to playing. I think if you stick him more in in Lamb's defensive role, I think that he, he would have a, I think a lot of those defensive kind of quickness mistakes, if you put him on kind of, you know, those between like a, a two or three, the guys that you usually have Lamb going out there to guard, I think that he makes the, I think he makes better sort of better defensive plays that way. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, it Kerr's just got such a, a short leash for him in a lot of ways. Like kind of like you said, there's he makes mistakes that Steve Kerr has no patience for. And I think that um, I think that Lamb's, uh, you know, I think his offensive his offensive deficiencies can be very correctable. Um you know, but it's a it's a matter of him getting those minutes, and I think that you're you're sort of right to a degree that Lamb is just kind of earned Kerr's trust more. So it's sort of uh, I guess like in in for this season, you could look at Lamb being more of a uh, you know more of that 
that usable end of the bench guy when you look towards the playoffs. Um, I, I mean, do you think need you need somebody play. to come off the bench and hit threes. Yeah, that's true. I just I do think Moody is capable of that. I think that he just he kind of needs a couple more minutes to to show that. But Lamb yeah, and I agree. I mean, we saw that yeah, last year, right? That. I mean, Moody Moody had that role last year, and we all. I mean, I thought that this was Moody going to be Moody's role this season, like consistent. You know, fifteen minutes off the bench, hit some threes, toughness defense, rebound, um, but obviously it just hasn't played out that way. And I I do agree with you. If you give Moody more minutes and more consistent role, and he's not overthinking, because these are young guys, right? I mean, they yeah, know exactly. they're on a short leash. They know when they make a mistake, they're you know they're beating themselves up in their head, and it just it makes it so hard to not play so tentative. And I see a lot of criticism of Steve Kerr, like Steve Kerr doesn't know how to develop these young guys. They just need hmm. to go out there and play. And it's like, sure, that's one perspective, and the other is that kind of Greg Popovich old school style of. There's certain things that if you do it on the floor, I don't care how many minutes you've played, you're coming out and you're going to sit there and think about it because these are just not things that we're going to tolerate. And it doesn't necessarily contribute to short-term growth, success, and development. And it's not necessarily, you know, it takes the right type of personality and character of a person um, to be able to take that criticism and be able to to sit on that and and, and kind of continue to grow and, and take the good from that. But we just look at Jordan Poole, you know, in year four compared to year one and, and the wonders that it worked there. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that it works for everyone, but it's certainly the style that the head coach wants to use. And, you know, it's for him to, for him to figure it out and us yep. to like him or hate him for it. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, so I think the other wild card in all of this is Jonathan Kaminga, right? Cause before Kaminga got hurt, Kaminga was really busting onto the scene as far as this guy who can come off the bench and be that spark energy defensive guy, we saw him, you know, in the in the first game of the homestand against Charlotte, really be the catalyst to us taking care of a team and avoiding another disappointing loss. I mean, that Charlotte game, I felt like the Warriors were going to lose. And all of a sudden, Jonathan Kaminga snatches the ball away from P.J. Washington and goes down and gets a dunk. And then next play... Next play down the floor, we have nothing going for us offensively. Kaminga's got the ball in his hands with like four or five seconds left, and he makes a nice drive to the hoop and comes up with like two timely cl- clutch buckets. And mm-hmm. that's the type of energy that you need from the guys off the bench when you've got, you know, the challenges of, of the la- lackadaisical play of the core. You need those guys, you know, the DiVincenzo scoring 15 points in the first quarter, just some you need those timely contributions from the guys that are going to play. And it really felt like Jonathan Kaminga was finding his way as to how he can make an impact on the floor and be deserving of minutes and, and just make a difference for this team. So I'm really excited to see him get back to the floor soon um, because what he was doing defensively and the way that that really ignited him offensively was pretty scary. Some of the things that Mm -hmm. he was doing on the floor is pretty impressive. Yeah, well, I think he, we did see kind of flashes of it last season, but Kaminga was he's been incredible this season. I think that even even as he sort of you know starts to work out his shot a little bit, and I think that he's uh, I I don't don't believe he's really improved percentage wise as a shooter, but you know his form looks a little more fluid. Um, you know, you you think that he's he has some ability to space the floor down the line, but he really. Um, Def- defensively he just wrecks havoc 
He's a great point of attack defender. He's great on help. He's just so athletic that he can be pretty much everywhere on the court. Um, he's exactly the kind of uh, the kind of defender that you want a young guy to be. Um, you know, you really see the the defensive potential there for him to be a sort of that key cog in the Warriors' defense when they need uh, you know more defensive lineups. And I think the the stretch of games where they were playing the best was kind of when. Kaminga was playing his best. And I think while there is the obvious defensive component to that, uh, he just provides so much rim pressure as well because he can blow by a lot of the guys who are who are guarding him. He'll get a switch onto a, a bigger guy kind of in the Warriors' small ball lineups, and it's tough to stop him at the rim. And that opens up the floor for, you know, shooters to kind of get their space to force the defense to collapse. Um, and he's making a, a big component of that is not just that he's converting shots at the rim well and he's, you know, punishing poor defense and poor defensive help by getting uh, getting his buckets there, but he's also making good decisions in the lane, which are contributing to, you know, kind of offensive fluidity. And I think that he's he's just been so key kind of off the bench in on both ends of the floor and he's fit in so well that. You know, you definitely, you're definitely excited to see him come back and see what he can do this season. Um, I would say that aside from Jordan Poole, he's probably the only one of the the young guys that you you outright are like, even with you know a, a good deal, you don't want to kind of get rid of this guy and trade him for somebody else because he has been affecting the Warriors winning in positive ways, and he's really, you know, he really fits a role that's kind of unique on this team and um it's just very important whenever that he has that confidence kind of whenever he's on the floor yeah all all really good points i mean he kaminga was basically unplayable at the start of the season mm -hmm. and um you know to your point like how many times do we see draymond looney um or even iguada when he came back like guys are guys are going to the rim and they end up just passing it out because, you know, they just don't have the lift yet. They just still, they just don't have the lift anymore in their legs to really challenge the defender at the rim. And Kaminga's got that, but he's also a willing passer and his decision-making just really improved. He just seemed to have understand, you know, when's the time for me to attack and just pick up some fouls versus um, get into the lane and kick it out to open three point shooters. Like you said, he puts so much pressure on the rim um, and then rebounding, right? There was games yeah. like he boxed out um, Rudy Gobert when we played Minnesota. It was just like eye-opening plays where you just see his athleticism and physicality and strength just really on display. And you're like, man, this guy can really do something that not, no one else really on the roster can do. Um, and just how how much we desperately need that because it's not, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily need him to be a 42% three point shooter. Although obviously, you know, this season he's shooting like 20, 25, 26% from three. You'd like mm -hmm. to see that go up a little bit, but it's more about the intangible things that he needs to do on the floor, right? Just take a page out of Kavon Looney's book and, and just let the game come to you, right? Don't be hunting your shots and don't worry about it. If a couple shots don't go in, right. Don't be worried about taking the shot with 20 seconds left in the shot clock. But if you catch the ball and there's only seven seconds left, like go to work. Um, and, and he just offers such a, a different aspect to the team being able to challenge and put pressure at the rim. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to get him back. And I think I'm curious to see how that 
kind of changes the rotations and also Jermichael Green as well. Mm-hmm. He's been out for a while. Um, and I think that's kind of helped the Warriors a little bit. Like when when Steph was out, when Jermichael Green was out, like the rotation got so much shorter and we were so much more, you know, we kind of have, we're back to that underdog mentality, but everyone seemed to kind of gel because there was a limited rotation. More people were getting playing time, more guys, everyone was kind of stepping up. So it was a little bit disappointing when when you got Curry, Wiggins, and Iguodala back that, you know, everything just looked out of sorts. So you'd really like to see them kind of get back to playing their roles. And and sometimes it's a little bit hard to do that when you know you're going to be playing 25, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. And now you're only looking at maybe five to 10 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you still, you, you got to find a way um, if this team wants to be successful. Um, because I think that, you know, short of some huge block blockbuster trade that I don't really see see happening. I mean, even if you you go get like Jakob Pertl, like you're probably going to have to move off of Kavon Looney or Draymond Green in, the, in that type of deal. And I think that um, this team has this team is so close to being elite. Um, it's just hard for me to see them kind of give up and say, well, you know, we don't think that this group is good enough. So um, I think to your, to your point earlier, if, if we can find that kind of uh, end of the bench rotation player who can fit into that playoff rotation, you know, at that seventh, eighth, eighth spot, um, that would really be a big boost. But if you make a trade to get somebody else and you're having to move one of those foundational pieces to do it, I don't know if that necessarily moves the needle, um, but it's just such an interesting situation because we obviously know when you've got Steph, Clay, and Draymond healthy, we can beat anyone. But then it's so disappointing when you go lose a home game against a beat up Phoenix team. Yeah. Um, but then you also know that these guys, it's just another regular season game, right? I mean, even though they say all the right things in the post game and they got to play better and blah, 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 this and that. And if we're going to do it, we got to do it now. It's still just human nature. You're going through the ropes. It's just so hard to get up for these regular season games, these just gauntlet of, you know, marathon of the NBA season. But we know, you know, tomorrow against the Celtics, everyone's going to be up for that game. And we're hopefully going to see the best version of this team. And it's like, man, if you guys just played like that every night, you'd probably be, you know, top one, top two in the West right now. No question. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's like worst road record in the league. but best home record and and just such inconsistent play and at times like unwatchable basketball but then at other times it's like much must see tv it's like which version of the team is going to show up and it's it's frustrating as a fan to uh to follow that and uh be supportive of that and just see and see kind of this self-inflicted pain that the warriors caused themselves because very few games have we actually been outplayed it's usually we beat ourselves yeah, I think that's definitely been the case. Um, it's really, yeah, I, I mean, kind of like we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of very correctable mistakes that are, you know, in, in a lot of ways, the Warriors playing down to their competition. You know, they, they'll go and win big games. And, you know, you do hope everybody kind of gets up for the game against the Celtics tomorrow. Um but at the same time, like, there's just been some relative inconsistency. I mean, you, you saw it when Phoenix was... 
healthy outside of Chris Paul, you know, campaign had a career high against them. You just, it's hard to, to kind of know what you're going to get with the team when they're, they're kind of playing the way that they are. And I think that while it, it will help, I, it's, it's a quick note on, on Michael Green. He, um you know, he's for his career, he's a, a great, he was a great shooter. I think that, a lot of people saw last year in Denver for him as kind of a, uh, as kind of a fluke, um, you know, where he shot, you know, 25% from three. And before that, I mean, he was, you know, 39, 38, 40, like he had some great seasons where he was shooting from three, not too long ago. Uh, this year, you know, it's, it's just been a little bit of a different story. And I think that while it will help to get him back to help, help get some size um it, his inconsistency hasn't really helped and i think that's kind of where you start to look at okay maybe there is a there is a team need there but as you said you're you're not sure unless you can get a deal done with sort of one of those teams who are who are going to be doing fire sales at the trade deadline to try to get assets for the future um you're probably going to have to give up somebody who is currently relatively valuable to the team to get something back so i think that um, there's a lot of correctable mistakes, um, kind of as you were saying, and, uh, you know, you're just not sure if a trade's going to help correct those and bring some new life into it, but you're also looking at guys who are, you know, not really playing up to, up to what you, you kind of seen from them in the past. And that's, uh, it can get frustrating very easily when you see them be themselves like that. So yeah, I think, um, you know, Jermichael Green hasn't played since December 18th and he still has no timetable for his return with a, yeah. a leg injury. I, you know, I'd, I'd personally be happy with letting Jermichael Green go and sign Anthony Lamb and just can, and let and let uh, Kaminga take his minutes. Um, my thing, like, I, I would have preferred Bielitsa over Lamb, right? Because Bielitsa, you knew what he was going to do defensively. But offensively, he was just so much more versatile. Jermichael Green, yeah. you know, when he hasn't been shooting the ball from three very well, but unwilling or unable to do anything else other than go get an offensive board. Um, mm-hmm. He fouls every time on defense, and he commits a lot of offensive fouls trying to get rebounds. Um, but he doesn't really have any counter moves to being closed, you know, to closeouts um at the three point line. So he's either going to shoot threes or he's not going to do anything. He's going to, he's going to foul. Yeah. So, um, I, I think the potential was there, right? I mean, this, when we signed him, I was like, sweet. And then in the preseason, he looked really good. He's knocking down threes. He can grab these offensive rebounds. He looks a lot. He looks really physical. Mm -hmm. Um, it just hasn't panned out for him. So I don't know, you know, just fit confidence, a stroke of, you know, bad shooting. Um, you know, he's kind of up there as far as uh, seasons played in the NBA. Um, but, you know, he's certainly somebody that I would not be upset if the Warriors were able to just trade away or just buy out and just, you know, mm-hmm. give give the minutes to somebody else or just maybe his injury will keep him out for the rest of the season and they just can avoid that issue altogether. Yeah. But, you know, even all of this that we're talking about and, and the disappointing inconsistent play for the Warriors, again, still eight and a half games out of first um, at, you know, sixth place in the West. So much can change. Um, this is kind of a good year for the West to be so tight 
right? For the Warriors yeah. to just kind of get away with this, you know, phoning in some of these games and, and then showing up for others. Um, but at a certain point, you know, this team's really going to need to start stringing together some consistent play. Um, you can't just limp into the playoffs or limp into the play-in and expect it all to just come because, you know, everyone has our number. Everybody wants to beat us. Nobody's going to take it easy. And, you know, there's a lot of good teams out there. Um, nothing, nothing's going to be, nothing's going to come easy in this league, you know, regardless of who you get, um, who you get on any given night or who you get in the postseason. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, you look at kind of look at the West standings, um, you know, it is, it is still pretty tight, but you have Denver who's won seven straight Memphis, who's won 10 straight Sacramento has won four straight and they look really good under Mike Brown, who was a, you know, Big loss for the Warriors this season. Happy got the the head coaching job, but uh, you know, sad to see him go from the staff. Uh, the Warriors really, they really do need to kind of pick up the consistency and uh, you know start to to put together some games because there are, you know, you have a team like uh, Denver who is now back at full strength with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. You know, we handled them in five in the playoffs last year. It could look a little different this year just because they're, you know, they're they're all playing at a high level. Nikola Jokic is obviously, you know, one of the top players in the league. And even Memphis, you see a guy like Desmond Bain has taken a leap. Um, you know, John Morant's having an excellent season. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is getting on the floor a lot more despite, uh, you know, an injury that was thought to keep him out for quite a bit earlier this season um you know he's putting on some strong defensive performances the pelicans look great even despite missing zion williamson for an extended period of time uh you know the mavericks are expected to be buyers of the trade that trade deadline and you know luca is of course playing out of his mind there's just it's so competitive in the west that you know the warriors down the stretch will need to make sure that they can they can kind of secure a, a solid spot solid spot in the playoffs where they won't have to play too many on the road because they haven't been the greatest road team uh, particularly this season um and right behind them i mean you even have the clippers who are also at 500 and have been missing paul george and Kawhi leonard for a relatively significant amount of their games and on top of that you know you have portland who's kind of underperforming gp2 coming back has been helpful to them uh, Phoenix on massively underperforming. They're currently 12th at 21 and 24. Uh, it's, this is the most crowded the West has ever been. And I think that, well, it's good for the West to be this crowded at this point in the season. And, you know, to, to kind of see some teams that are underperforming at the same time, this playoff field could be 10 teams deep, yeah. uh, which means that two teams are going to be left out of entirely despite making the plan and you'll still have to to make the plan and uh, really any of the matchups you might get down there um it's uh it's a bit too much of a roll of the dice to to feel comfortable with where the team's at and they've benefited from a lot of teams having these kinds of slow starts but everybody's going to pick it up eventually and if the warriors don't they're going to get left in the dust yeah warriors suffer another four or five game losing streak you quickly find themselves back you know, 10, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, early season when we talked, you know, it's Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole can't hit a shot for their life. You know, we're not going to win games when you've got, you know, guys putting up 17, 18 shots a game on like 35% shooting. And now, yeah. you know, the, the shooting woes are behind us and we have the potential 
to really lock teams up defensively. It's just, can we execute for 48 minutes, right? Can we string together consistent play on both ends of the floor where we're not turning it over, we're not committing silly fouls, we're not sending, you know, the opposing team to the free throw line mm-hmm. on just ridiculous, you know, 30 to 13 free throws, um, which I still just don't understand how the Warriors don't get to the foul to the foul line as much. Yeah. Um, it's not for lack of trying either. Yeah. Uh, it just continues to baffle me. But you know, I don't I don't think I never think really officials really cause wins or losses. You know, at the end of the day, you need to execute. And so um it's it continues, you know, every segment of Warriors basketball just continues to feel like it's season defining. And I feel like we're on another little crossroads here that you've got some of these guys back. Um, going on a nice little three, four game win streak would just really put the team at ease and get them hitting their stride and and help to continue move up the standings a little bit. Um, and this team is more than capable. So mm-hmm. you just really have to see them put it all together. And and if they can if they can do that in this kind of second half of the season, where like 40, 44 games into an eighty two game season. Um, you know, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, the Warriors are, are good enough to beat anybody in the league if, if they can make it to the finals, right? I mean, they give yeah. this team, even with the roster as it's constructed today, you've got enough. You got enough. You're seven guys deep to to go up and match up against basically anyone in the league and, and have a great shot to win. So um, you just like to really get there because after this season, it's a really big question mark as to what they're going to do. Um, I hear a lot of rumblings of a disconnect between um you know ownership and front office and the coaching staff i think you know if you're steve kerr and bob myers maybe you feel like there's a missing piece here that you'd like to go out and spend a little money to sign to sign someone kind of like you're saying fill fill in Mm -hmm. maybe somebody that's more consistent established well-known commodity than than giving anthony lamb that um that last roster spot but lakeham's got to spend the money right it's got to be willing to do it and they're you know, I haven't heard this myself, but just hearing a lot of rumors and rumblings that there's a big disconnect there. And and um, we saw this dance a little bit with the James Wiseman selection and and the comments of Steve Kerr saying that James Wiseman isn't going to be a starter. And then he ended up being a starter. And then Steve Kerr basically played him to prove that he's not ready to be a yeah. starter. So I think we're seeing that a little bit right now with Moody, where Kerr's basically trying to tell Lakeup. Like, it's great that you want this two timeline, um, you know, this two timeline plan, but like these guys aren't ready, not ready yeah. to play the way of the way um, the version of basketball that they need to play that that's my system. Um, and so Kerr's like really short leash, not giving them a big opportunity. And, and so as fans, we uh, get upset or we're like, what's what's he doing? Steve Kerr's ruining their confidence. And it's like, there's a reason why he's doing all of this. And we might not like it, um, but there's competing conflicts of interest here right now. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to say what's right or wrong. I mean, I think, you know, you could say you don't want to waste Steph Curry's prime, but then also it's like, if the end result is you make it to the playoffs and you make it to the finals and you win, it's like, did it really matter? Did all those regular season wins or losses that could have gone either way did it really matter um i don't know right but it sure is disappointing that you lose um you lose to utah when you've got like a five point lead in 30 seconds to go you know it definitely doesn't make you feel good about clinching the finals when you when you make those types of mistakes but at the same time 
you want to make those mistakes in the regular season and learn from them so you don't repeat that in the postseason. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that one thing, um, just kind of going going back to to something that you had said earlier about um, about kind of the the Warriors to the to the foul line thing. There was something interesting that I that I kind of looked at. Um, I think it was last last month, and I'm looking at it now again, and it, it looks you know kind of similar. The Warriors are one of the most efficient teams, both in the restricted area and in the non-restricted paint area. Um, you know, they're first in efficiency in in the paint, and they're is this fifth in efficiency in the restricted area, but they take the least amount of shots in the restricted area and around the uh, I think they're about 20th in shots in the in the paint. So, you know, there is a lot of, you know, there's plenty of driving to the rim and, you know, maybe some of those players don't get the respect that they they deserve on their way there. But, um, you know, there's there's something to be said about, you know, for a jump shooting team starting to to kind of increase the the pressure that you really aim to put on the rim. And, um, you know, especially with a guy like Wiggins, who's athletic and having Kaminga back will definitely help for it. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that's definitely, you know, forcing those officials to make those calls is, um, I think it's going to be key for the rest of the season, kind of going to that, uh, to that disconnect point that you were talking about. I mean, you definitely see it. Um, there's, uh, there's some obvious frustration with, you know, it's not necessarily always media comments, but you can see it on the floor sometimes when there's a younger guy who makes a mistake and, you know, you're kind of thinking in the back of your head, well, a vet wouldn't really make that mistake. And it kind of goes to, you know, that's a good kind of a good point you raised with Moody as well, that he might be doing this. Kerr might be doing kind of a similar thing that he did with with Wiseman. And that's how Moody's got, you know, such a such a short leash. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I think that, well, it's, it's not, you know, the most obvious thing in the world. It's definitely, you can see a disconnect. You can sense that it's something there, you know, you have Bob Myers now, uh, doing a kind of a media tour to a certain degree to, to, you know, pump up and hype up his podcast, but at the same time, you know, they still haven't reached an agreement for his, for his extension. So I think that is, um, you know, there's a certain amount that that could tell as well. Yeah, very true. I think I think he'll get re-signed. I, I think he will. I think he will as well. I think it's you know kind of a matter of time, but it it taking this long is uh you know it's it's disconcerting to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, and going back to your um to your comment about um kind of attempts in the restricted area in the rim, I feel like Wiggins. You know, Wiggins' free throw regression has um, made him, you know, he he seems like he's been less willing to attack the basket. And I think, I don't know if that's also a product of his um, incredible career high percentage from the three-point line, um, but he seems much more willing to settle for outside shots when we know that he can get to the rim basically at will. And so that's where I think Kaminga's value really comes in because um, you know, Kaminga's had stretches where he's been a really great free throw shooter and other times where he can't seem to make one for his life. Um, but he doesn't care, right? I don't think he's really worried about his percentage. He's just happy to get to the rim and get fouled. And so I'll be happy to see um, Kaminga getting back to, you know, playing some rotation minutes and putting pressure on the other team. Because there's plenty of times where we pick up, you know, three, four, three or four fouls early in a quarter and we're just not able to take advantage and get to the foul line. 
Yeah, I think that's a, I think that kind of going back to that percentage, I think that that seems to be kind of the, the biggest culprit is that, you know, Wiggins is, he's so on fire from deep right now. And it's a, you know, he's shooting a, he's having a career season at, you know, 40% or he was having a career season um, earlier this year where he was, there was like a point where he was hitting like 45% of his shots from three or something like that. But he has been settling for, for kind of the easier shots. And I think that having, um, you know, that kind of, that kind of rim pressure from him is something that, uh, you know, you're not sure if it's also something, you know, his, him expending more energy on defense. And that's why he's, you know, worked on his jumper and he wants to, to kind of put more energy towards the defensive end of the floor. Um, but like you said, I mean, Kaminga's made strides as a more consistent free throw shooter. Um, that's been a big thing for him is, and will be a big thing for him going forward is his ability to convert those, uh, those kind of charity stripe attempts. Um, and man, I hope Wiggins hasn't been saving energy for defense because it yeah. sure doesn't look like yeah, it. it doesn't, it doesn't particularly look like it at the moment. But, he locked um, up yeah. Luca in the playoffs, but man, the number of times in the last few games is just whoever he's guarding just blows right by him. And he commits the foul. I'm just like, oh man, come on, Wiggs. Yeah, it's uh, it's been tough to, to see that kind of see that regression from him. I think it, it'll level out, but it's uh, you know, it's it's definitely disconcerting. So I think another thing with Wiggins is that his his free throw percentage really isn't that great this season either. Um, you know, he's having a pretty he's been having a, a great season from three, but uh, in terms of, you know, his actual free throw percentage, this season is the worst of his career. So, you know, while he's, he is, he's at 60%. Yeah. Which is abnormal for him considering even just last year, I mean, it was 63%, which isn't much better, but. And career you know, low in mean, attempts, right? So yeah. he's, he's only, att- he's attempting less than two free throws per game at 60%. Yeah. And it's just not, you know, it's, it's not having the same impact. And I, you have to wonder if there's some kind of confidence issue there as well. Um, Just kind of with whenever he approaches to the line, he maybe gets some, some sense of the yips or something like that. But, you know, you would think that a career high season from three would not correlate to a career low season from the free throw line. um, (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Right. And when you look at his attempts and his percentage, you know, his rookie season, he shot 70, 76%. Basically, for the first three seasons of the NBA, you're shooting 76% on anywhere from six to seven attempts per game. Mm-hmm. And it's just gone slowly down, um, down to 65, then kind of back up to 70, 72, 67, 71, the first season with the Warriors, and then 63 last year, and then 60 now. So, yeah. Uh, But Wiggins play, you know, I think we saw it last year where the first half of the season, he just was absolutely gangbusters. And then he really kind of tailed off and and lost some of that explosiveness and confidence. So I feel like he's trying to settle in. Also, I'm going to kind of group him into that kind of hangover phone it in from from last season's incredible finals. I mean, he was just so spectacular in the postseason in the finals i think he's just having trouble finding ways to get up for you know the okc thunder or the orlando magic you know he he really relishes that marquee moment in the spotlight really the first time in his career being in that type of situation and it seems like that 
he hasn't really figured out how to bring that same intensity, right? We saw that, like I said earlier on the show, like the last three minutes against that Phoenix, you know, with the blowout game, all of a sudden he starts picking up full court and it's like, man, yeah, these guys wouldn't even, wouldn't have even been able to put up, you know, 70 points in the game. If you have defended like this, the whole game, like, where was this? Yeah. And the, the nuggets, the very next game, I mean, they were picking up full court the entire game and they blew Phoenix out. So something to be said for, for kind of that, that level of energy. But um, yeah, I mean, when, when you look back at last season's postseason run, I mean, you could make a, a pretty strong case that Wiggins was the second best player on the team during that run, you know, despite Jermon Green's defensive brilliance, um, you know, Kevon Looney stepped up a, a lot, you know, Jordan Poole stepped up a lot. You really, Wiggins's impact, I think, was probably second to Steph Curry's for the entirety of that postseason run. And, you know, the, the Warriors really needed it, especially in the finals. I mean, it was a, a against Luka as well. I mean, th- those were defensive masterclasses from him. And now yeah. you see him when he has to guard, you know, John Wagner, who's yeah. who's good in his own right, but you know, it's it's not quite the the world breaking talent that uh, is giving most team defenses fits all night. He, you know, he just doesn't go up against that night after night. And I think putting him in that kind of championship hangover hangover grouping where he's not, you know up against the best of the best every night is, uh, you know, it's affecting his, his defensive buy-in to a certain degree. So I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see really what it is with, uh, with him tomorrow, but um, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for him wanting higher matchup difficulty and him really playing up to that. Yeah. So Kind of closing it out here. Uh, what's your what's your prediction for uh, tomorrow against the Celtics? Ooh, um, I think it's uh, it's kind of tough to say, um, if for no other reason other than the Warriors are going to be reliant on Steph's brilliance. Generally, I think that Wiggins's defense is you know he's still getting his legs under him a little bit since he came back. Uh, you know, I don't expect him to, to be, you know, completely locked down. I think clay is going to have a good game. I think that he's probably going to, if Steph isn't the leading scorer tomorrow, then I would bet clay will be. Um, but yeah, I, I would predict, uh, you know, honestly, I would predict a massive game from Steph. Um, you know, I think that some, some good overall wing defense, I think that the, the core is really going to bring it. I think pool is going to. Um, you know, he's going to sh- sort of show up in stretches, but it's this is really going to be a good litmus test of what this team currently is, uh, you know, without obviously without having Jonathan Kaminga, who's become such an important part. Um, but this will this will kind of be a measure for, OK, so was the first game where they made the Celtics look like they did in, you know, some of those NBA finals games. Um is this the Warriors team that we can expect to see in the playoffs or is there something that really, really needs fixing? And I think that a lot of, I think even some people in the front office may be viewing it the same way. So we'll, uh, I'm hoping for, hoping for a win. I think we'll get the win. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a big test to see kind of where the Warriors really are at. Yeah, totally. And then they're going to have Robert Williams for this one. If I'm not, that's going to be important. It's going to be a, a big difference maker. I think. 
he he kind of plays like a JJJ a little bit, at least defensively, just having huge athleticism, changing shots at the rim, um, willing to come out and contest on three pointers. Yeah. So it's think, gonna be important. You know, to... Is it gonna be like the Chicago game or is it gonna be like the Washington game, which was a tough matchup, even though there was no Beal, but we at least took care of the ball and it wasn't a parade to the foul line. So I think, you know, shots aren't always going to go in, but you got to control the variables you can control, like limit turnovers and don't foul unnecessarily. So I think if the Warriors can do that, they put themselves in a good place with what Steph and Poole and Clay Thompson have been able to do offensively. Um, DiVincenzo has been playing really well. You got Anthony Lamb coming off the bench. Um, I think, you know, again, like you said, it's going to be a good test of, of where the Warriors at as far as being this contender that we know that they can be, but seem to just, you know, are they going to phone it in? Are they going to show up and execute? Yeah. I think if they win tomorrow, I think it's a pretty easy segue for Steph Curry back into the MVP conversation too. Yes. Would love to get Steph another MVP. Yeah, that would be that would be the I would say if if nothing else, then the Steph Curry MVP campaign will uh will continue in full. He'll have a he'll have a big game. Maybe the Warriors won't be able to get it done. I predict they will be, but um, you know, either way, he's going to he's going to show up because if there's one person for the Warriors who always does show up, it's 30. So Yep. You got it. Well, thank you, James. I always appreciate again, you taking the time to join we believe the show. I think there was podcast. a lot of interesting if you topics given me that we discussed and many question marks for this team as they continue down their path. Like, subscribe, rate, and, and review uh, the show. Interesting NBA season. Let's go, Dub Nation. Yeah. Well, take was, Boston uh, Celtics. They, there's definitely a lot of work to be done, and we've still got a whole lot of season left. So, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. All right, man. You take care. All right, you too. Thanks, Sam.